Hello, Husky fans! This is Max Cerullo, and you are listening to another episode of Yes, UConn, the podcast where we dive deep into the greatest UConn basketball teams of all time. And guys, you know what? I think we have ourselves a... Uh, a real interesting episode ahead of us. We are going to listen to Tim Fontenot try to explain to all of you why the 2005 UConn basketball team would beat the 2011 team in a game. So, um, Tim, how's it going? Are you up for the challenge? I think so. Unlike these teams in the mid-2000s when it came to crunch time, I think I'm up to the challenge. Ouch. Wow. Rough. <laughs> <laughs> Well, in all seriousness, I think this will be a more interesting discussion than that because, like, the you know, just just doing a quick look over 2005, that team did have a lot of talent, and they match up with 2011 in interesting ways. So while not sure they'll win a popularity contest, which, if we're being honest, this is as much of that as it is trying to actually, you know, <laughs> decide who'd win these games. Well, it, it'll be it'll be interesting. So anyway, for That's all you proven by our poll last week. Oh, oh geez, yeah, <laughs> we'll get to that in a second. <laughs> well, for all you guys out there, thank you for listening. We are now in, entering week four of the uh, UConn Men's Basketball Greatest Teams Tournament Challenge. And last week we had a really interesting matchup between the five seeded 1998 team versus the 12 seed 2002 team two teams with pretty similar resumes all things considered both elite eight teams both Big East champions you know both featured you know prominent UConn NBA alumni and uh the voting played out uh in I, I in a way I wasn't quite expecting after day one 2002 was actually winning by about two to uh, a two to one margin with a, admittedly a very a fairly low vote count and then uh Tim, I guess I don't know whether this would have happened if you'd said anything or if it would have just happened anyway. But <laughs> Tim decided to start start talking online, and our boy No Escalators noticed. And uh, let's just say ninety eight got the No Escalators bump, and uh, Rip Hamilton and crew cruised to a uh, sixty six to thirty four percent victory. So um, I can't. I mean, I'll, you know, can, given the seating and just kind of personally, that's about how I expected it to go. But I, I was interested yeah. to see 2002 take an early lead. So I don't know. What do you What do you make of uh, that? You know, th- those results there. Classic five twelve matchup. The twelve gets out in front. You think you might have an upset on your hands, and you know sometimes it happens. Other times the five seed just comes back and asserts their superiority. Uh, look, that was fun. And shout out to all our friends on UConn Twitter who. Uh, who, after I added them, we had a really, really fun conversation the rest of the day talking about these two teams, talking about the memories, and um, we did have support on both sides. I think you got the no escalators bump, I got the rust bump, which I think we saw how much the rust bump actually means, and love you, Russ. Um, <laughs> just, yeah, it was a fun conversation, and obviously these are two two really solid teams, and 98 was probably always going to be the favorite to come out on top, and there we had it. Yeah, well, you know what? It, it was a. Uh, it, it was that was exactly what we were hoping for when you know we started this. Basically, you know, we we just mostly we just want to like just talk smack about these teams. You know, like it's 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 a fun exercise, yeah. and you know, it's obviously like we don't until somebody invents a time machine and decides that rather than you know do any other number of more important stuff, it's like let's just go grab basketball teams and have them play <laughs> <laughs> until the day comes where we're actually doing that. You know, doing crazy stuff like that. Yeah, this is this is the best we can do, I guess. So, 
Uh, shouts yeah. to 1998. They're moving on, and um, that leaves that leaves open an interesting possibility. So 2011 and 2005 is our discussion today. Um, so 2011 obviously is the four seed. The uh, 2005 team is the 13 seed. Um, 2011 obviously one of the most beloved UConn basketball teams ever, and, and admittedly not necessarily considered to be one of the most talented, which makes this kind of an interesting case because 2005 was undeniably an extremely talented team. And they were a two seed. They accomplished quite a lot, a lot of NBA talent on the team, but they didn't quite live up to their potential in the the NCAA tournament. So I actually am interested in seeing how people weigh that because, you know, on one hand, you know, we'll every, you know, we'll we'll get into all of it, I guess. But even so, I don't know if this is as much of a slam dunk as I personally think it is, but I guess we'll we'll see, we'll just see how it goes. Um, so uh, yeah. So anyway, uh, the winner of this game, by the way, will will go on to face ninety eight. And that leads us to an interesting kind of conundrum where we have a 99 versus 95 will be the other, uh, you know, quarterfinal matchup. And, you know, depending on how things shake out, we could end up having a semifinal with 1999 versus 98, which is literally just the same teams, except one of them is one year older. <laughs> or we could have the winner of today's matchup end up playing 98 and possibly 99 back to back. So I don't know. That's that's a little unfortunate, but whatever. It's uh, it is what yeah. it is. Um, so, uh, yeah. So Tim, um, why don't we, we'll start with you, I guess. Uh, tell, why don't you educate us about 2005? Uh, would love to, you know, get, this is not necessarily one of the more famous UConn teams. So give us, get us up to speed. What do we need to know about these guys? Right. Well, 2005 kind of carries on a theme that we had last week. Last week we talked about the proto championship teams with 98 and 2002. This is, you know, this should have been a championship contender slash a proto championship team. Given the 2006 team, this was pretty much this is pretty much the same team as 2006 minus Charlie Villanueva. You had Jeff Adrian coming in the year after, but you had this is a team that had eight consensus top 100 All Americans on it, and it had five future NBA players. And this was a this was a talented big team. You got Charlie Villanueva at 6'11. You've got Josh Boone at 6'10. Rudy Gay at 6'9", Denham Brown 6'6", Hilton Armstrong 6'11", Ed Nelson was on the team now at big 6'8", and then obviously you had the guards, you know, uh, you had big guards too, with Marcus Williams 6'3", Rashad Anderson 6'5", um, Antonio Kellogg was on this team as a, as a freshman. This was such a really talented team, and like you said, just really didn't live up to the potential on the floor, but this is a team that should have been able to go toe-to-toe with anybody they started the season top eight uh the top 10 in the ap poll they were they were eighth to start the season and they never fell out of the poll but they just kind of january was a really bad month for this team and they just they dipped they dipped all the way to 23 and they worked their way back up they were 12th going into the going into the conference tournaments and then they finished at 13th overall after um after a couple of unfortunate tournament uh tournament runs both conference and ncaa but you know they started um they opened the season four and oh they end up getting up to seventh in the poll just moving up the one spot but a bad loss to umass at the mullen center two-point loss um then they you know they come back they finish out they go into they go into the 2005 part of the schedule eight and one and then january was just like i said awful Losses to Boston College, Oklahoma, Pittsburgh, and Notre Dame. Not bad teams in this in this 2004-05 season. Um, 
Boston College finished up 25th in Ken Palm. Oklahoma finished 12th. Pittsburgh 24th. Notre Dame 59th. But just a really a really bad spell that saw this team dip a little bit. But from there on, the rest of the regular season, they were they were pretty soundly dominant. They they beat everyone. They uh, sorry, I lost count. They they won nine of their last ten. Um, the only loss coming to North Carolina at home. North Carolina, who went on to win the national title, um, they beat Syracuse twice. They beat Villanova, who finished seventh in Ken Palm. But they go into the conference tournament. They lose to Syracuse in their second game, and um, that just you know. Unfortunately, they they'd beaten Syracuse twice in the regular season. A couple of really good games, but Syracuse gets the edge in the conference tournament. And then you go into the NCAA tournament as a two seed. Um, you end up with an American Athletic Conference matchup against UCF in the first round. You beat the 15 seed, but only by six, 77 to 71. And then you come up against Julius Hodge and NC State in a 65-62 loss. And you know, kind of one of those what could have been for. For UConn, I mean, they they were a top fifteen Ken Palm team. They were beast defensively. This was such a like I said, the size was unbelievable on this team, and it showed they were obviously no surprise. We always talk about this the top shot blocking team in the country. They uh, this was actually the fourth year in a row that they finished number one in shot blocking, and they became the first team to ever do that. Um, just outstanding rebounding team. They were first in total rebounding. Um, and defensively, they just were dom- like, like overall dominant. Like I said, they had they gave up the third lowest field goal percentage in the country to uh, to their opponents. So just a team that could have been so much more than the result showed. Just the talent was outstanding, and it just didn't it didn't result in more success in the end. But Still, you put this team up on the floor against anybody, and it's going to be a really good game. Yeah, I was just I was going through the schedule, and I was really struck by it, just how so, how weird some of these results were. Like yeah. the the NCAA tournament games. If, correct me if I'm wrong. They were played in Worcester, weren't they? I believe so. I mean, I, that's uh, at least that's what it says on the ESPN here in their schedule. Yeah. I'm just because I remember that, that that happened a couple times in the mid 2000s where they would play regional games at, at like uh, the DCU Center or whatever that place is, was called then. And uh, yeah, that's uh, DCU. I'm gonna say I'm, I'm. First of all, I'm jealous as a fan. I that never happened when we were at school. At least that I'm that I, I don't I don't think it happened for you after I graduated. Because like no. that's like I mean as far as like other than Hartford itself, like you can't find a closer like place to like watch a regional. Like that's nuts. Right. <laughs> and to go there and to watch them lay an egg against NC State. I mean that that must have just been the most disappointing thing ever. So you know, sorry if I'm triggering some of the you know older alum you know quote unquote older yeah. alums who were. Uh, who were there at the time. Yeah. <laughs> I, I remember going to a couple of games this season, but the only ones I can remember going to are, were all wins. I think I went to both Rutgers games during this season. Um, well, the, the one at home, I think that was when my brother was actually the Bob Storrs, um, like young fan of the game or something like that. So we got free tickets. And, uh, and then my grandparents took us on a, on a bus trip to, uh, to go see my cousin and I to go see them just put the, put Rutgers down by like 22 at the at the rack which actually really really quick I meant to mention this was also this should have been AJ Price's freshman year and I remember obviously he had health issues that year that kept him from playing but I remember my cousin was really obsessed with his video camera 
and he brought it to the Rutgers game. And Jesus, we're talking about 2005 video cameras. My God, now you can just pull out your phone. Um, he saw he saw someone from UConn just sitting at the R at, at midcourt at, at Rutgers and just draining shots from back there, you know, solid 35-foot shots. And I looked down, it was A.J. Price. With, like, was just the coolest thing. And just like, man, if he had been able to play, like, you know, just would have added something else to this team. It would have been so much fun to watch. And, uh, you know, just another one of those, you know, what could have been just add to that guard depth that they already had. And just one more quick thing about this season before I hand it back to you. And I'm sorry for my, uh, you know, another tangent here. No, it's all good. Love to to hear you predict, uh, like, take a glance into the future like that. That's pretty fun. Yeah. (laughs) Um, The month before this season started, about three weeks before this season started, UConn landed a huge commitment for the 2005-2006 season. And again, another what if. They landed the number seven player in the country, the top center ahead of the likes of Tyler Hansbrough, a guy named Andrew Bynum. Oh my God! They missed and the one. Like, how, how much did they miss the one and done era by? Was like, like, was this like the last year before that all got started? I think so. I think it was pretty close. Yeah, it was. Yeah, that was like not long after. I mean, yeah, I mean, yeah. Andrew Bynum would have. I mean, that that's a one and done right there. If they could have got him. But the, yeah. like their their front, could you imagine their front court in two thousand six was huge as as it was. Like imagine just. <laughs> well, I, I actually it's not that hard to imagine. It probably just means Hilton Armstrong doesn't play as much. I guess I don't know. That's yeah. seemed to have been the story of his career up until then. We'll we'll get to two thousand six next week though, so it's all good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No. This. Yeah. Looking through these this, this, these this um team's record, it's it's wild. Like. The Boston College loss wasn't as bad as it sounds. Like we hear Boston College now, and you're like, "Oh, that's that's bad." In the, the mid 2000s, BC was actually really good. They they were. Uh, I I believe it or not, this was back when I was a you know actually a BC fan because you know this was before my. Look, we all look, we all do dumb stuff when we're kids. Okay, in my case, yeah. I I had the mis- misfortune of growing up in Boston, and at a time when BC was actually like relevant and good at stuff. Who, who can, yeah. can you imagine? Like it was a, it was like a totally different world. So, I had to watch games like that in uh in my. In, uh, in college, in my sports journalism classes, where we had to look back at old UConn games from, like, the early 90s, and there was BC actually being kind of decent, yeah. so. Yeah, and then, so, yeah, weird. you got, you know, the Oklahoma loss, they were ranked 25th in the country, Pittsburgh, Pitt was 21, you know, whatever, it is, it is what it is, and then, like, yeah, North Carolina, that, that's, that the boy, that's a, it's, it's kind of cool that they got to play, got to play them that year, like, I feel like UConn, yeah, these, these, oh, my God, what a, yeah, what a, what a matchup, that, that's awesome. Yeah, and then you know, then the Syracuse games were were both awesome. They beat Pitt the second time they played them. Some really, uh, some really dominant wins too. And you know, again, the Big East and looking into the in their non conference schedule, they they played Quinnipiac and absolutely put them in the trash. They beat them by fifty two, one twenty three to seventy one. That's uh, that's 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 wild stuff. Um, all right, yeah. So that's so that kind of that's the kind of the story of their season. Tell us about the team. Uh, a lot of talent here, like you said. Who who is the who are the big guys for two thousand five? Well, the it was a pretty balanced team, especially when you look at scoring. There were three, uh, five guys who averaged over ten points a game, and then you had Marcus Williams right behind him at nine point six. There were this was a this was a team that had you know a really really a six to eight man uh, rotation. Well, mainly six main guys on this team, and then a couple guys who averaged you know 
12 to 15 minutes uh, coming off the bench with Hilton Armstrong and Antonio Kellogg. But your typical, your typical starting lineup would be Charlie Villanueva, who was a sophomore playing in his final season. Um, obviously went on to have a really solid NBA career. He was outstanding. 13.6 points, 8.3 rebounds. Um, behind him, Josh Boone. You know, Boone, love him. Uh, just another another big guy. Uh, obviously 6'10 center, 12.4 points per game, 8.4 rebounds. Uh, Rudy Gay. As a freshman, great freshman year, and obviously an even better sophomore year before he went on to an outstanding NBA career that's still going. Eleven point eight points, five point four rebounds. Denim Brown, the the legend of one hundred eleven points in a game in Canada, uh, the hero of the Maui Invitational the following year from uh, from this season. Ten point four points, four rebounds. Uh, you had Rashad Anderson, who Rashad Anderson averaged. 11 points, 9 points per game. He was the third leading scorer uh, on average on the team. Only started about half the games this season. So, um, he and he only played he only played 24 of the 31, but he, you know, he had a really solid year before obviously becoming a key factor in um, in 2006, but three guys started every game. So Villanueva, Boone and Marcus Williams who um, was the one guy of these six who didn't average over 10. He had 9.6, but he was outstanding, and he had 7.8 assists per game. Um, Denim Brown started 21 of the 31 games. Rudy Gay, 26 of the 31. Rashad Anderson was the guy to start in either guy's place when they didn't play. Nobody else started beside uh, those six guys. So just a really a reliable top six, and then you had um, you had other guys coming in. For you know, for spells with Armstrong, Kellogg, Ed Nelson, um, averaged nine point six minutes. Uh, his first year coming from Georgia Tech, where he uh, he had been a really solid player his first two years. But yeah, just a really, really balanced, really talented team overall. Yeah, no, for sure. I was struck by that looking through the lineup. I, I for some reason I feel like in my memory of this team, Villanueva played a much bigger. He was like kind of. It struck me as kind of being like the guy where if you actually look at the numbers, the stats don't necessarily bear that out. But, you know, obviously Villanueva was like the big pro to come out of this team specifically. So tell tell yeah. us, uh, for those who maybe uh, don't remember him, he was obviously a very distinctive player, <laughs> to, put yeah. it, to put it mildly. Um, tell t- Give us a little bit of the, the scoop on Villanueva and kind of what his deal was. Um, could do a little bit of everything, but obviously he was, you know, he was... Primarily, you know, a guy down low, you know, freakishly big, 6'11", 240 pounds. Um, part of the reason why this is one of the best shot blocking teams in, uh, in the, you know, in the 2000s, he was, he had 1.8 blocks per game, just a freak on the boards, 8.3 rebounds, but he could, you know, obviously most of his, all of his scoring was coming from inside, but he, he was part of a team that, you know, they were so great at when they uh, when they got a block, they could just break out and transition. And all of a sudden, there's four guys running down running down the court against two or three from the other team. That you know, one of them is gonna one of them is gonna slam the ball home. And you know, Charlie was always right there to you know to you know put the finishing touches on an unbelievable defense to offense transition. Um, just would 
you know, get the ball inside, and that was pretty much the end of it for whoever was trying to defend against him because they just didn't stand a chance. So what strikes me about this roster is at UConn the last, like, 10 or, you know, 11 years, we've gotten used to very guard-heavy teams, whereas this one, it's, like, almost the opposite. It's, like, just bigs, like, across the board. Villanueva, Boone are, like, both legit centers, basically, or, you know, whatever. Rudy Gay is, uh, well, he, I mean, Rudy Gay is more of a three, but, like, just... Still, he's 6'9", 220. I mean, you're not stopping yeah. that dude if he wants to go to the rim. You know, Denim Brown, I mean, you know, is with, yeah. I was going to say Denim Brown, you know, 6'6", 220, is, 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 he's like a load too. So, yeah. it, the kind of, Marcus Williams was really the engine who ran this thing. I mean, he was really like the, the guy, like, you know, distributing to a degree, like, and his assist totals have always been really, really remarkable. So, what's... How I guess just uh, walk walk me through Marcus Williams, and we'll talk about him in more detail next week. But like, kind of his role on this team, and kind of how he made this particular lineup work. Just exactly that, the distributor. Um, not only that, he was just he was really fast, on, and like like I was just talking about the fast break. He was obviously the guy that was leading the fast break as the ball handler, and he could get you know he could get up the floor so quickly that. Either he was just going to get to the rim by himself and just easily put the ball away, or you know, dish it off. Otherwise, like the defense pretty much had to barrel down on him and you know force him to slow it down. But even when even when he had to slow it down, he was just such a smart distributor. He you know he ran the offense so smoothly that you know there was always going to be an opportunity for someone to get in position for him to easily just dish the ball off. And then you've got four guys who are just you know athletically superior to most everyone else that they're going to be up against um, that, you know, that made it really easy for, uh, for him as a point guard. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. So just all in all, 2005 is so interesting where like they match up with, well, at most basketball teams in general, but with 2011 in particularly, so it's so just such a different style. So, you know, let's, I guess probably now is a good time to transition to 2011. So, you know, 2011, as I just said, was a very guard focused team where, you know, where 2005 was pretty balanced. 2011 obviously was the Kemba Walker show. So, you know, most, most of our listeners I'm sure are are familiar with this team and it's uh, exploits, but basically in case you need a primer, uh, 2011 uh, went 32 and nine, uh, they went undefeated outside of like regular season Big East conference play. Uh, they went nine and nine in the conference during the regular season, finished ninth. But then famously won five games in five days in the Big East tournament to win the team's cha- uh, win the tournament championship. Go into the NCAA's as the three seed and just keep it rolling. Go all the way to the national title and uh, you know obviously won a couple of classics along the way. But by and large, you know they. They were pretty solidly dominant once, like pretty much once they got past Pitt and you know Syracuse and Louisville in the tournament. Those were close games, but like by that point, yeah, they had an air of inevitability. So when they won it all, it was like on some level the idea that that UConn team could win the national title was like just unimaginable. But by the time it happened, you're like, well, of course they won. Like, what do you, what do you expect? You actually thought they were going to lose? Like, come on. Yeah. So they were, I guess, in that case, also kind of very much unlike 2005, where that team should have made it much farther and, you know, it just didn't work out. So, um, you know, 2011, obviously they, uh, start off, uh, you know, strong in the, you know, non-conference schedule. They win the Maui invitational, which was an incredible run. You know, they, you know, they, they, uh, you know, win the three games, uh, Kemba scores 31 points to help beat Wichita state. He has 30 against number two ranked Michigan state, which was really like, that was the big statement. Like once that happened, we're yeah. like, Oh, 
oh my goodness, this team is pretty good. Because <laughs> coming into the season, we, we didn't know what to expect. In 2000, the 2010 season was a disaster. You know, they it was, yeah. you know, like, honestly, probably one of the, the least enjoyable UConn seasons that I've experienced since, you know, I've, I've been involved with, you know, UConn athletics and... I mean, I mean, obviously, some of the American Athletic Conference years are up there too. But like, there was just like you're coming down from 2009, where you make the Final Four. There's lots of talent on the team, and it just didn't work out. And then coming into 2011, you're like, okay, well, we got we got Kemba, who at the time we were like, okay, he'll, he'll be the best player, but like, we didn't expect him to do that. Like, he certainly nobody <sighs> thought he would be like he she should have been the National Player of the Year. Frankly, like he was that good, and, and the Big East Player of the Year. We'll get to that. Yes, <laughs> a sort of a bone of contention on this show. And don't let Ben Hansbro off the hook like that. Oh, he's he's not off the hook. He'll he'll never be off the hook. <laughs> so you know, and then obviously you know beyond him, it's like who else would who else did UConn have? Like you know, Alex Oriaki was a sophomore. We figured okay, he could be pretty good. And then it was just a bunch of freshmen mostly. And you're like, well, okay, we'll see how it goes. Well, you know what? It turned out that freshman class was pretty good. They ended up winning two national championships and. uh, you know, obviously enjoyed a ton of success. And, you know, some of them have enjoyed uh, quite a lot of success professionally, too. Um, anyway, so, yeah, so, you know, UConn beats Michigan State. Uh, then they take on Kentucky, who at this point is solidly in their one-and-done factory, kind of, you know, part of their history. They would obviously meet again in the Final Four, but in this one, UConn just blew the doors off of them, absolutely ran them out of the Lahaina Civic Center gym, beat them 84-67. to And then from that, up, that point on, it's like, okay, we got something here. This is going to be special. And, um, you know, on and on we go, you know, the UConn runs the table in the non-conference uh, schedule, go into the Big East, uh, you know, this was probably one of the best conferences in college basketball history, the 2011 Big East, just an absolute, absolute, like just gauntlet, just every team they played was good, basically. So you, you, you start off and you get smoked by Pitt, you know, at the, you know, at the Peterson event center, whatever, Pitt was in that ranked number six, that team. Like early 2010s, Pitt was just a different beast. Those guys were just awesome, and it kind of is says a lot. Where UConn got absolutely wiped, and Kemba scored 31 points, and it didn't matter. <laughs> they were just, it was just a beatdown. You know, go on, go on from there, and you know, you you it was actually kind of a little bit of a, a, a struggle the first like week of January, like or you know, kind of over the holidays, where UConn also had to take South Florida to overtime. They won, but that wasn't great. They lose to number 14 ranked Notre Dame, and then they play Texas in an absolutely epic overtime game, which Kemba hit like he hit this like the dumbest three pointer I think I've ever seen him make. Like he like chucked the ball yeah. like and it just bang, it just went in. It was one of those stupid games. Um, so yeah, they win that one, uh, 82-81, and then kind of they they get their footing. They win, uh, you know, including Texas. They end up winning six games in a row. And then, you know, in February, it was a little bit tougher. You know, you have a, a double overtime loss to Louisville. You lose to Syracuse, ranked number 17. Then you have, like, just a really bad loss at St. John's. I think probably the worst loss of the season. And, you know, whatever. So the, the all, all thing, long story short, UConn ends up losing four or five to end the regular season, including a really discouraging loss at Notre, versus Notre Dame to end the year where Ben Hansborough came into the, you know, press room afterwards slammed a Gatorade bottle down and almost started a riot when one of the McDonough's was ready to just like rush the podium right there. <laughs> For those who aren't familiar, uh, my, the McDonough's were my daily campus running mates. We covered this, we covered this team in college and uh, there's, they've been both been featured on numerous episodes and we've discussed how that was a, a tough, uh, a tough pill to swallow uh, at length. Yeah. So 
that game was um, actually that produced one of the loudest moments I've ever heard in Gamble Pavilion, and I've heard a lot. And I always, I always put this one in my like I try to rank my top five loudest Gamble moments when Ben Hansbrough came back on the floor with four fouls and like eight minutes to go, and instantly picked up foul number five. That place erupted. I oh my god! I, I forgot about times that. I've heard Gamble that loud. I. Uh... You know what? Now, now that you mention that, that just makes the audacity of after the game just that much more like unbelievable. Yeah. It's like you didn't yeah. even have anything to do with this, dude. Come on. <laughs> so anyway, we, we we've litigated this whole you know this whole thing at length. So needless to say, going into the tournament, um, there were a lot of hot takes, a lot of takes that did not age well. I think many people on UConn Twitter, I think, are nodding and. And kind of like, yeah, not our not our best moment. But in, in fairness, I mean, we, we didn't know. Who could have imagined what would come next? Obviously, yeah. you know, we, we know now UConn wins five games in five days. Um, just you know, run it. They beat four ranked teams in the process. Just, you know, an epic run. And then the NCAA tournament, it was just a just a great time. You know, they blow the doors off Bucknell. They beat uh, Mick Cronin in Cincinnati. And I got to say, you know, beating Mick Cronin in the NCAA tournament was like, kind of a, a meme for a while but like now that that one's aged a little better now that it's like we actually know mick cronin's actually a pretty good coach and maybe it was just cincinnati yeah. all along who knows um you know uh san diego state was i think one of the most underrated tournament games we've ever seen i mean you know Kemba yeah. versus Kawhi. talk about a matchup that aged well those guys are both two of the best players of their generation really you know the guys could kind of you know came out of this this time frame uh Kemba had 36 in that game just an absolutely awesome showing um, beat Arizona, scariest game of my life. Um, <laughs> anybody who watched it knows exactly what I'm talking about. They hear the name yes, Jamel yes, Horn yes. and th- their hands start quivering. Um, you know, then you got Kentucky again. Uh, you know, Shabazz Napier hits a couple of free throws uh, to ice the deal, and then you got the worst basketball game ever played against Butler. But uh, you know what? It wasn't the worst because UConn won 53 to 41. That score makes me cringe every time I look at it. Like I can't believe that that was the score of the national championship. But um, by the way, quick aside, I hope you guys don't mind me kind of indulging me here. I, In my journalism career, I've been very, very fortunate to have covered a national championship game in a Super Bowl. And I don't know whether I should like complain about the fact that those two games were also probably the worst like games of those like the worst <laughs> national championship and the worst Super Bowl ever played. <laughs> in yeah. a Super Bowl 53 when you know the Patriots beat the Rams 13 to 3 was... Let's just say it, it wasn't exactly the uh, the game against the Falcons or the Seahawks, but yeah, that's the, that's just no, me I, being ungrateful. <laughs> yeah, as someone who also covered a national championship game in person, I would like there would be times, you know, and we're we're working, and you know, part of it like it felt like there was a lot of pressure, so you know, there's times where you're getting a little stressed out, and other times where you know there's stuff like you kind of want to complain about, but then you're like, wait a minute, I'm here at the Final Four. I'm covering a national championship game, and why am I mad about this? Believe me, I was not mad about any of this. And you know, I mean, no. obviously, like as a lifelong Patriots fan, and at that you know, at that point, a UConn student, getting the chance to see them win in like a professional setting like that was just like a, literally a dream come true. Uh, yeah. In the case of the Butler game, honestly, actually, it played out exactly the way I would have wanted. Like, I may have preferred that the score be more like maybe seventy-three to sixty-one. But there wasn't much drama. I mean, the entire second half, you know, I was just like, like, yo, they're going to win. This is unbelievable. This is sick. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, you, you mentioned the, 
the bad takes in uh, the postseason. I'd like to mention that during the postseason, I ended up having one that I am very happy about. Um, I got it. Um, oh, this reminds me. I have another shout out real quick with this being Mother's Day weekend. Um, so my mom and I went to the second round Big East tournament game against Georgetown. And they obviously, they blew Georgetown out of the water. They looked fantastic after looking fantastic against DePaul, which obviously not as hard. Um, we're walking out of the, the arena, and I said to my mom, I'm like, all right, they looked really good, and they play Pittsburgh tomorrow. If they, if they beat Pittsburgh, they're going to win the Big East tournament. And if they win the Big East tournament, they're going to win the national championship. I was like, I don't know. Like, I don't have anything to back this up. I just feel it. And she was like, she wasn't sure. She's like, all right, like, hopefully, we'll see. And uh, sure enough, ends up being a really great take on my part. I was very happy about that one. Yeah, that's that's a good one. It also reminds yeah. me of the many people who correctly or perhaps just claimed after the fact that, oh, hey, you know what? If the Red Sox come back and beat the Yankees in the ALCS, you know, where, you know, who knows what could happen when they were yeah. down three, <laughs> when they were down three games to none. So, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, hey, look, if, if you, you if don't you, mind. Sorry, go ahead. No, if you don't mind, really quickly, speaking of uh, speaking of my mom and speaking of Mother's Day weekend, I have to give a really big shout-out for a moment during this season, and I'll be really quick about this. Go for it. Saturday, January 22nd, the, the game against Tennessee that was nationally aired on CBS, obviously a huge game, everyone was there. And if you, go, if you ever were a student at UConn and there were games at the XL Center or at Rensselaer, you know that they sell the tickets to get on the bus to get to the game. And you know that there are more people who want to take the bus back than there were people who had tickets to get on the bus. That's how it usually worked. There would always be people who tried to sneak that way. Well, it worked effectively on that day when there was, I think there was snow on the ground. It was freezing in Hartford. And they did not have enough buses to get everyone home who had taken the buses to Gamble or to XL from from stores. So me and like four or five of my friends are sitting there waiting because all the buses had already gone back to stores and we would have to wait more than an hour on the side of the road in Hartford for them to come back and get us. I called my mom. We live in, my parents live in Portland. It's like a 20, 25 minute drive into Hartford. I told her the situation. Um, she knew a couple of my friends because a few of my friends, uh, were from Portland and she's like, hang tight. I'll be right there. So my mom drove into downtown Hartford after the game, picked up more of us than her car could fit and got us back to campus, dropped us off right in front of Gample, just in time to make it in for tip of the women's game that night against Pittsburgh. Wow. That is an MVP moment that deserves a shout out on mother's day weekend. So just... Mom, 10 years later, thank you. That was awesome. Didn't need to do that. Did it. And we got to see two great wins that day. So just iconic. Shouts to Tim's mom. That's awesome. And, uh, <laughs> you know, I, my, my mom doesn't listen to this show, but, like, happy Mother's Day to, to you and to all the great moms out there. You the real MVP, as the great Kevin Durant said. So, uh, yeah, well, you know, yeah, so obviously great season, a lot of great memories. We were talking about, like, loudest moments. I I can just remember, like, three or four off the top of my head. Like, the Villanova game was unbelievable. You yeah. know, the, the um, Notre Dame was pretty big. It was it was a great year. I had so much fun. This was, like, it <laughs> just drives me crazy to imagine this was 10 years ago. So I know. Let's, uh, let's talk about this lineup. So um, 
2011, in retrospect, much more talented than we realized at the time. Like I'm just looking at their uh, college sports reference page. This team also featured six top 100 recruits, which is I, I was surprised to see. Like you know, you know, you mentioned 2005 had eight. So these guys like they weren't exactly like just nobodies for sure. So uh, Kemba obviously was like the big guy. So you know he was he was 23.5 points per game, 5.4 rebounds, 4.5 assists. He literally did everything. I mean he should have been national player of the year. You know Ben Hansbrough, yep. whatever. You know, it is. I hope he enjoys his trophy. Kemba has, well, let's say he has a national championship trophy. Um, he has a Big East tournament championship trophy. He has, uh, God knows how many millions of dollars sitting in his his bank account in his you know now ten year NBA career. I, I think it worked out just fine for Kemba. So all good yeah. there. You know, um, down the down the down the line though. I mean, you know, a lot of underclassmen, but a lot of guys who could really play. Uh, Jeremy Lamb, uh, freshman. Six foot five guard, so you know definitely you know definitely a bigger guy. Uh, he, you know he was out of uh, Norcross, Georgia. Eleven point one points, four point five rebounds, uh, one point six assists. Really, you know, just quality overall player could really do a lot of things well. You know, he could dunk, he could get to the rim, he could shoot. You know, a lot of, a lot of things going well for him there. Uh, Shabazz Napier, obviously, uh, you know, one of UConn's all time greats. He was sort of the sixth man off the bench. Um, you know, but still very productive. He had 7.8 points, uh, three assists per game. Could you know obviously do a lot of the things Shabazz is known for doing. He didn't you know have to. He wasn't quite like the king of the no 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 yes shot here yet. He didn't have to be, <laughs> but he was definitely you know he definitely oozed confidence. I, that was something I remember right off the bat when I first saw him play. I was like, okay, well if nothing else, this kid has swag, and you, this team could definitely use a little bit of swag. So that's good. Uh, your your front court uh, primarily Alex Oriaki, uh, sophomore, six nine, uh, two twenty five out of Lowell. He had nine point six points, eight point seven rebounds. Was really the top big, you know. Uh, obviously, his career at UConn kind of ended in not the greatest way, but still, uh, you know, he was really awesome this year. Uh, you know, Roscoe Smith was a was a, a top recruit out of Baltimore. He was a six eight uh, freshman, two fifteen pounds. Uh, you know, production-wise, you know, 6.3 points, 5.2 rebounds. He kind of contributed a little bit here and there, but, you know, it was kind of one of those guys who's, uh, well, well, I mean, you know, with Kemba on the team, he didn't have to necessarily average double figures. Um, Charles Okwandu was uh, the other main big, 7-footer, 255, uh, 2.9 points, 2.8 rebounds, but I felt like he contributed more than the stat sheet would, would show. He, he played a lot. He had a lot of good moments. Yeah. Uh, Jamal Coombs-McDaniel. Sophomore out of Dorchester, uh, two, uh, six, seven, two, ten pounds, uh, five point six points, uh, two point six rebounds, and randomly had like a three game stretch where he became the best basketball player on the planet, which is still still one of the wildest things that's ever happened. It was one of the greatest moments, and he had one of the biggest moments of the season with the offensive rebound against Pitt. That's right. Yeah, yeah. So he, you know, really came through when it mattered there. And then, you know, uh, then Niels Gafai, Tyler Olander, a couple freshmen who, uh, you know, their numbers weren't great this year, but like they, they were. You knew that they were going to be like big contributors. Tyler like randomly started like most of the games and would play five minutes until Calhoun would yank him for one reason or another. <laughs> and then uh, Danelle Beverly is sort of your uh, your extra guard off the bench, uh, you know, kind of a senior leader, locker room kind of guy. So a lot of uh, a pretty deep bench. You know, a lot of a lot of people played. A lot of people contributed. And, um, yeah, but obviously at the end of the day, you know, this was Kemba Walker's team and everybody else was sort of filling in roles. So, yeah, I guess uh, before we start trying to handicap this matchup, what are you, any other thoughts on this team and kind of the, the, the makeup on the court? Um, it was definitely a team that, you know, like you said, when you first, when they first stepped out there, you didn't think that there was like, you know, this is a national championship team, but obviously just 
such a fun team as the season went on, a special team for both of us. Obviously, you covering them, me my freshman year. Um, we, we had so much fun with this team. And really, through the ups and downs, they were just they were amazing to, to watch and to see what they accomplished. And obviously, Kemba was the driving force behind that and such a great season for him. But everyone had their moment. And that was I think that was one of the best parts about it was, you know, like we were just saying, Jamal Coombs McDaniel had a three-game stretch where, you know, suddenly you forget about Jimmer and Kemba being the front runners for National Player of the Year because there's Coombs ready to just burst onto the scene. Um, and then, obviously, his play against Pitt that set up Kemba. Um, you know, even going all the way down, like, I, I still remember one of my one of the plays that sticks out to me the most from this season was uh, against Bucknell in the NCAA tournament when Benjamin Stewart came in late in the game, the one of the walk-ons, and makes the play diving out of bounds to try to save the ball. I mean, every single guy had had a chance to step up and do something special. Um, and everyone, you know, they just, like, everyone just came together, gave their all every single time. And... That's that's what happens. You you get a national championship team. Yeah, shout out to Ben Stewart. I had a bunch of classes with him at UConn. He's super super great guy. Definitely his his performance against Bucknell was one of the I would say one of the the most uplifting things I've ever seen because like yeah. UConn was UConn had the game well at hand. Kemba and everybody was on the bench, and then Ben Stewart just comes in, and it looks like he's trying to just like like he like transforms into the Hulk and just like starts figuratively <laughs> just dunking on everybody for like that two minutes. I was just like, go, go get him, Ben. Yeah. <laughs> like, this is, this is the greatest thing I've ever seen. It was, you know, walk-ons in the NCAA tournament. It's a different breed. Yeah. So that was fun. Speaking of walk-ons, shout out to Kyle Bailey. Oh one yeah. Of the most beloved walk-ons of all time. Can't, can't forget Kyle Bailey, the pride of Lancaster, yeah. New Hampshire. Great, great stuff from the Granite State Ooh, over there's there. There's actually a moment here and I'm, I'm really sorry. I keep doing this in this episode. No, all good. Tell, let's, let's hear it. There was a big, I can't remember who the game was against big game in the gamble. And you know, the guys would mess around before the game, before like the proper shoot around, they'd be out there shooting and Kemba and Kyle Bailey were sitting on the visiting team bench and just taking shots, sitting down in one of the chairs and shooting toward the hoop. They both kept missing, and finally, Kyle Bailey drains one, nothing but net, before Kemba. Everyone starts going nuts in the student section, because we would get let in like 90 minutes before the game, whatever it was. Kyle stands up, just stares Kemba down for a second, and then just walks away, and not even just like back toward the rest of the team, just walks into the locker room victorious to the loudest Kyle Bailey chant I've heard ever. It was just an iconic moment, you know, he's pumping up the crowd, he's just like, it's his walk-off moment, like Shabazz against Florida. It was, it was outstanding, and just one of the many great Kyle Bailey moments. Shout out to Kyle Bailey, that's that's incredible. That's one he's that's one you can tell your grandkids for sure. It's just like, yeah, I smoked Kemba, I stared him down, and I walked yeah. off to thunderous applause. What a moment. All right. So let's uh let's uh let's try to put on our thinking caps here and try to imagine how this this matchup would go. Um I gotta say, I am Actually, this is actually a mat. Now, I, when I was looking at on like the 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 um you know the seating and the bracket, I was like 2011 versus 2005. Man, that's a that's a weird. I don't I don't really know what to think of that. Now that we're here, I'm like, oh my god! Like, I want to watch this game. Like, don't you? Yeah. I Very just much I, so. I just love the idea of four huge 
super athletic guys, like basically the monsters, walking around, you know, and just like they'd be matched up. Like one of them would be matched up against Tyler Olander as a freshman. Think about that for a second. Like you, ba- like who, like your your lineup is basically going to be, you know, Kemba, Jer- Lamb, Oriaki, Roscoe Smith, probably. And, um, you know, Shabazz, I, I don't know, like they could either go with Shabazz or Aquandu, depending on whether they want to try to guard all four of these bigs or if they just want to go completely the other way and just say, all right, look, we'll just like roll out, you know, Kemba, roll out Shabazz, you know, have have Lamb and just try to just disrupt Williams as much as possible. Because otherwise, yeah. like it, once those big guys get the ball in their hands, that that could be trouble. What do you what do you think about just like how how would this game even like go? Like who who would even like who would even start? <laughs> I mean, if you're 2011, you're I think you're having a hard time figuring out who's going to start because unless a Quandu's in there, there's a there's a height advantage everywhere for the 2005 team. Olander, you know, six ten maybe. Um, you know, he, he's in line with Josh Boone, but still Josh Boone, just way more of an imposing presence than Tyler Olander. Just, yeah. Yeah. You know. The idea of Josh Boone, you know, trying to, you know, go, excuse me, the idea of Tyler Olander, try, freshman Tyler Olander, especially trying to guard Josh yeah. Boone is not something that I find an especially comforting proposition personally. Yeah. <laughs> and look, I mean, all the way, like from, you know, from the biggest guy to the smallest guy, because even, you know, I know Kemba's probably going to win the day in the matchup, but it's not like Marcus Williams is going to be an easy guy for him to stroll around against. I mean, you know, Williams was a really solid defensive player, and, you know, he's he's much bigger than uh, than Kemba at this point. You know, he was, you've got a 6'3", 205-pound point guard going up against 6'1", 172 Kemba, who... You know, obviously he had the quickness. He had he, he was a strong guy, but you know, one of Kemba's big things, you know, he wasn't, you know, he wasn't really pulling up with you know big outside shots all the time. I mean, he was he was pulling your bigs into situations where they had to try to challenge him, and he was just crafty enough to you know to beat them almost every time. But you know, I don't I don't know if he ever came up against a team that had the kind of inside presence that this 2005 team had, I think Kemba would have a pretty tough night. I think he'd, you know, I think he'd still be good for 20 or so, but I don't think that he would have the kind of dominant performance that you would normally expect from him. Well, I actually disagree with you there because I don't see how this team stops him because 2011 faced big teams. Like, it's not like that was, you know, I mean, Pitt was pretty big, like, you know, Pitt's probably a great comparison, actually. They they weren't exactly constructed the same, but, like, kind of a similar kind of big, you know, a bigger team, you know, and with bigger guards, too. It didn't matter. We saw what happened when Kemba, the moment Kemba got switched onto a big, he he turned him into a meme and basically, like, ruined his career for, like, the next 10 years, you know? So, you know, Kemba, you know, the moment Kemba gets switched on to any of the other big guys from 2005, it's over. They can't stop him. Like, you know, he's going to the rim. It doesn't matter. Like, you know, the best shot blocking team in the country. Yes. But like Kemba was crafty. He was, he's going to, he's going to find a way in and he's not going to take stupid shots. And if he, you know, obviously if the, the bigs get to him, you know, he's perfectly capable of dishing out or finding, you know, Lamb or Shabazz outside, you know, that's, uh, so that's just something I, I feel like would be an interesting factor. Uh, the other yeah. thing I noticed I, here is, sorry, let me, let me just real, real quick. Yeah. One other thing I noticed too, is that like the moment that any of the bigs from 2005 get the ball in their hands, 
they're going to have a physical advantage, but they kind of need to be pretty close to the rim. So spacing is going to be a potentially a problem. And UConn's bigs are for the most part, pretty athletic and pretty quick. So like there could be a lot of steals here. So like that, that would be like 2011's big game plan, I think would be to try to just like, you know, poke the ball out of whoever has the ball's hands as much as possible. And just, I don't know, just try to disrupt Marcus as much as possible. Cause obviously like, you know, Marcus can hit anybody, but once the the other guys aren't as good a passers, I would I would certainly think. And you know, t- to be fair, I I didn't follow this team as closely, so I could be I could be off base there, but I, I don't feel like I am. What what do you what do you think of that that possibility? Yeah, no, I I don't think it's necessarily a bad shout. I think the problem that you know the 2011 team might run into there is, you know, you'd have to be I I know they were I know they were pretty quick, but you know this 2005 team wasn't really you know. They weren't slow getting up and down the court either. I mean, you've got guys like Denim Brown and Rudy Gay alongside Marcus Williams, who if UConn gets caught out in transition, you know they're going to hustle back and either close you down or disrupt your shot at the rim. Um, so I, you'd have to be really careful if you're uh, if that's the kind of game that you want to play as uh, as the 2011 team. Yeah, yeah, Rudy Gay. Per- yeah, Rudy Gay in particular is problematic because he is obviously like you know as athletic as they come. So he's yeah. he's so that's this is an interesting I, I guess who who's guarding Rudy is it going to be Lamb or is it going to be Roscoe or you know some combination of him and Jamal Coons McDaniel's or all three how do you how do you feel like that particular matchup is going to go it's going to be rotational but I think Roscoe's the guy who's on him from the start because I think Jeremy Lamb's got to worry about Denim Brown so I think that that's going to be a really that's going to be a really tough time for Roscoe because obviously you know. Roscoe was talented, but he was also, you know, pretty naive that freshman year, um, and I think he had a he had a tough time against uh, in big situations like that from from time to time. But especially against a guy like Rudy Gay, who was like one of the talents of that era of of men's basketball. I just think that he would have had such a hard time. Rudy's gonna slice you up in so many different ways. Obviously, when you get close to the rim, but he also, you know, he could stretch the floor a little bit, and I don't think that that would have been, uh, that would have helped Roscoe very much. I think he would have had a really hard time with that, and, you know, getting up and down the floor as well, I think Rudy would have had the advantage there. He, he would certainly, um, sorry, let me, let me jump in there. He certainly oh, yeah. would have had the advantage, but looking at, like, the tail of the tape, I actually think Roscoe is a, as, as probably a good matchup uh, physically and athletically as you could really ask for in this particular situation. They're both yeah. freshmen this year, so about the same age. They're about the same height. You know, Roscoe is 6'8", uh, Rudy is 6'9". About the same weight, you know, Roscoe is 215, he, Rudy was 210. Interestingly enough, both from Baltimore. So I guess for whatever that's worth, like they both uh, yeah. <laughs> kind of roll from the same streets. Um, you know, and, and for you know whatever you have to say about Roscoe, I mean, w- no one would have ever questioned his his athleticism. He was always no, like like a real not. a real a real gamer in that respect. Super high energy. You know, he's not he's not outscoring Rudy. I, I don't think he's going to necessarily stop him per se, but. You know, as far as a defensive matchup goes, I mean, Roscoe versus Rudy, it's it's not bad. You, you, 2011 could absolutely work with that. I feel like so. Yeah. You know, Ru- Rudy's not going to just go crazy on them. That's you know, n- not. N- there's no way that's happening. Yeah. Um, going back to Kemba real quick. I mean, you know, I I can un- I can completely understand where uh, you're saying he's probably still going to have a really good game, and I you know. I'm not saying that you know I don't I'm not saying he necessarily would and I I agree that you know there's the opportunity for that but when it comes to dishing the ball out to other guys you know this 05 team was one of the best teams in the country when it came to um, 
scoring defense. I mean, they they gave up like sixty six points per game, but they you weren't making a lot of shots against this team. They had the third lowest field goal percentage defense. Uh, they were the best rebounding team in the country and obviously the best shot blocking team. So there are very few ways that you're actually going to score against them. And I mean, Jeremy Lamb and Shabazz Napier would both have to have outstanding, outstanding shooting nights, like career shooting nights, I think, against this team in order for them to make up for, you know, whatever Kemba couldn't do on his own. Because even if Kemba has a good, you know, 30, 35 point game, you still need to rely on everyone else. Um, especially against a team that's gonna just dominate you on the on the offensive end on you know inside like they're just gonna you know unless you can really disrupt them they're gonna get down the floor and they're gonna really have their way against you know Oriaki Olander or Kwandu inside so that's gonna be really tough to make up for and unless Jeremy Lamb and Shabazz Napier have career games I don't know if you can make up for that well but what but like if we're thinking in terms of three point defense. This I, I feel like this is a good matchup for them because you know the, the I don't I don't see most of those bigs really doing that much work on them on the, the you know around the arc like they're they're going to do most of their damage kind of closer to the basket so Rashad Anderson versus Shabazz I feel like is a really interesting subplot here because that's kind of maybe one of the key matchups they had similar roles on their respective teams you know both right. of them were big three point guys off the bench um, Rashad obviously was a much uh, you know, a much more experienced player. He you know, had a national championship to his credit. Certainly a very confident guy. Shabazz, obviously younger, but ultimately, I mean, you know, he ultimately went on to have a better career, both in college and, you know, he you know played in the NBA for six or seven years. So I don't know. What do you think about that particular dynamic? Because uh, I feel like that's one of the more underrated subplots of this game. Yeah, I think, you know, Shabazz still at this point, like you said, he wasn't the no, 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 no yes guy. Uh, when it came to his shooting, so you know, I think yeah, I think Rashad might have just a little bit of an edge in that one, especially on the defensive end of the floor. Um, really quickly to touch on the on the three point shooting, like you just mentioned, um, that 2011 team not the best three point shooting team out there. They were 32.9 percent, which was 237th in the country. And you look at the 2005 team's three point field goal defense, they were. 13th in the country, allowing only 30.7% of three-pointers to, to go in. So I think that that's kind of a, that's a matchup that would really, that would fall into the 2005 team's hands. Interesting. Um, I wouldn't have necessarily but, predicted that. Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, that they were just, like, they were so good preventing, you know, when it came to field goal defense. You look at, you know, 41.4% of two-pointers, which is six in the country, 42.9 overall when, it, when you look at effective field goal percentage, that was third. Um, the shot blocking obviously wasn't even close, but yeah, that Rashad uh, Shabazz won the the battle of you know the de facto six men would be uh, would be an interesting one because you know if you know if rotation comes into play, you know they're really you know the two smaller guys that would come in and the rest you know you've got Hill and Armstrong coming in you know maybe Antonio Kellogg too for the O five team and I think maybe that extra depth would give them more of an edge. Um, but yeah, that would be a fun matchup to watch as well. So just in terms of the defense, I feel like we, we need to give the 2011 team some credit because they were an outstanding defensive team too, which is, I, I feel like when we, we hear like the names like Josh Boone, we hear, you know, he'll, you know, all these, all these other guys, you know, Charlie Villanueva, all these other guys, you're wondering, well, how is 2011 going to stop them? How are they going to match up? Well, honestly, actually defensively, 2011 was always very good. It's, they they held pe- they they held people uh, to really a really low you know shooting inside and also outside 
And, you know, in terms of their Kenpom, um, let's pull this up here. Kenpom, UConn was 15th in the country in defense that season. So they found a way. Like, they played big athletic teams like the 2005 team, and they they found out ways to slow them down. You know, what they, you know, you talk about like the fast break, how they would, you know, 2005 used to really run on people. They, 2011 would find a way to slow them down. I mean, they, they did to pretty much everybody. They, they were really good at stopping that, you know, the, the fast breaks and, you know, keeping teams from just like running on them. It only happened a couple times, really. You know, obviously, offensively, they certainly they're not the most balanced offensive team, but. When you have Kemba Walker, you know, it doesn't necessarily matter. You know, he's he's going to find a way against, right. you know, he'll find a way to navigate the trees inside and he'll shoot. He'll do whatever he has to do. It'll it'll work out for him. So I don't know. That's it. Yes. Yeah, so I just feel like I should mention that. I, not exactly the most artfully um, phrased argument, but in terms of the defense, I, I've 2005 isn't going to just just repeatedly dunk on them. That's just not going to happen. No, no. It's But, um, you know, like you said, the outstanding defensive team and of course held a national finalist to 18 percent shooting um part of the reason why it was such an ugly game but um i think the key the the way to beat them is to impose yourself physically inside because um you know for for as strong as they are defensively uh, those those bigs you can still match up really well against them and obviously you know 05 has the players to do that and if you just look at you know a couple of the games that that 2011 team lost um obviously they got so much better as the year went on but um you know a lot of time really willed themselves to victory but one of the keys to beating them was to get inside and and impose yourself against those bigs i just look at the pittsburgh game that first conference game of the year which is you know not necessarily the best example because it's your first true road game you're a young team but you know pittsburgh was dominant inside you like brad wanamaker four for seven inside the uh from in on two point shots nasir robinson four of eight ashton gibbs three of seven gilbert brown two of six gary mcgee five of six and that was really that was really where they won the game they were so they were so dominant inside um picked up 32 rebounds um into yukon's 31 they won a rebounding battle obviously narrowly but you know they they did really well inside um whereas for UConn offensively you know Kemba Walker obviously the guy inside that we talked about the game he had there 31 points uh 7 of 16 from inside the three-point line Jeremy Lamb was next closest three of seven he only ended up with nine Charles Aquandu two of four he was on four points and Alex Oriaki was the third leading scorer on eight points he was one for four inside he just you know he got to the free throw line so uh if you know if you can if you can win that battle of the bigs, you know, the 05 team, I really I like them obviously matchup wise, you know, both because of their their physical presence and obviously the caliber of the player. Um, if you can win the game inside then, you know, you should be able to win this game. It's an interesting debate. I I'm going to be interested in hearing what the listeners have to say about this. So, yeah. We think we've uh, we've been at this long enough, so why don't we uh, why don't we make our pitches? Um, so let's uh, let's do this. Um, yeah. I'm gonna try to, to to I don't know. I feel like we got to come up with some like dramatic like you know intro like and now it's time for your 2005 2011 you know and you know UConn basketball teams or something. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll I'll we'll we'll keep workshopping it. Maybe for the quarterfinals we'll come yeah. up with some sort of dramatically overproduced intro, but. What yeah, we like do, it. what we can do now is, um, 
we'll we'll just state our case. So for those uh, who haven't heard the first couple of episodes of this series, uh, Tim and I will each take one minute and we will uh, state our final case for why we think our team would win this particular matchup. And uh, after that, we will each take 30 seconds to offer a rebuttal. And then we will leave it to you, the the listeners, and you guys will decide who will advance to the quarterfinals. So, um, I don't know, Tim, Tim do you want to do you want to go first, or should I this this week? You're the captain. I'm following your orders. All right. Well, uh, why don't you let's let's say, why don't you just go first? I, I feel like we'll we'll just we'll just right. yeah go for it. Uh, so I will. I got my stopwatch here. We got one minute, and after a minute, I will buzz you out and. Go go from there. So, are you are you ready? Sounds good. I'm ready. All right. Three, two, one, go. All right. The 2005 team didn't win a national championship. We know that. But what we do know is it was an incredibly talented team. Charlie Villanueva, Josh Boone, Rudy Gay, Marcus Williams, Hilton Armstrong all went to the NBA. Denim Brown, an outstanding college career. Rashad Anderson, an outstanding college career. This is one of the deepest teams most talented teams UConn has ever had. 2011 was unbelievable. Uh, what a great story. Winning the national championship. I'm always going to love that team. It holds a special place in my heart as I was a freshman at the time. But you know what? They weren't dominant in a single game. And you know what? A lot of those games down the stretch, they really willed themselves to victory, but they were very narrow games all the same. You know, San Diego State almost got through with just Kawhi Leonard. Arizona with Derek Williams. You know, this is a team that obviously went to win a national championship, but you put a team with as much talent as 2005 on the floor against them. I don't know if that young, albeit excellent UConn team has a chance. Time. Very nice. Very nice. All right. Well, uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm ready whenever you are. Why don't you uh, count me in when, when you're good? All right. In three, two, one. All right, guys. So the 2011 UConn basketball team, look, we all know how great they were, how awesome a season they were. But don't don't be swayed by the perception that this team wasn't really that talented or they were, you know, just Kemba Walker and a bunch of guys. This team was much more talented than people remember. You know, Jeremy Lamb has enjoyed a long NBA career, too. You know, uh, Shabazz Napier played for many years in the NBA. Alex Oriaki was, you know, got a cup of coffee and played professionally. Niels Giffey is like an, like a great pro in, in Germany. So, look, this team won for a reason. They they were just a fantastic team defensively. They were, you know, more balanced than I think most people would appreciate. Obviously, Kemba did most of the scoring and did a lot of the work. But in terms of like how how would they stop a team like 2005? Well, they stopped lots of teams like 2005. They they played big teams. They figured it out. Alex Oriaki, Okwandu, Roscoe Smith. Say what you want about those guys, but they could defend the hell out of the ball. I don't know UConn. This team would find a way to win, and I'm pretty sure they would make it happen. On the dot. Bang. There we go. Yeah, I learned my lesson from last week. I'm not li- looking like a fool again like like that. Yeah. All right, my friend. So uh, tell me, yeah, you got 30 seconds, and uh, tell me why what I just said is a bunch of bull. Let's uh, let's right. hear it. Three, two, one, go. Yes, the 2011 team did play a lot of big teams with size comparable to 2005, but not only did the did those teams lack as much talent as 2005, they may have been the same physically, but look at what those guys have done since from the 2005 team. UConn also didn't beat them all the time. The 2011 team still lost 11 games in conference play. It wasn't entirely dominant. And, you know, getting inside against them was the key. And if you could do that... And time. (laughs) 
Wow. That's rough. All right, you ready? <laughs> Let's do it. In three, two, one. Okay, well, first of all, it was nine games in conference play, not 11, so not off to a great start I there. I said nine. No, you said 11. And that's now you're encroaching on my time. That's okay. I don't need that much time. Look, you know, 2000, you know, the 2005 team. It's not like they ran the table over everybody too. We talked about their bad January. People could beat them. Look, they weren't. They were a great. They were a good team. But great teams win in March, and great teams find a way to to beat great teams. That's what UConn 2011 did repeatedly. 2005. Look, their track record doesn't suggest they'd win a matchup like this. I could have sworn I said the 11 team lost nine. Uh, well, I knew it was nine losses either way. If I said eleven, I apologize because I know better. But well, if maybe I, it was just the year and the total got crossed up. What maybe maybe so whatever. Even still, if we'll have to go to the tape. Yeah, yeah, I'll I'll, I'll play it back later. Whatever, it doesn't matter. I, yeah. I, I don't really care. I'll take I'll take shots even if they're un, if, even if they're unwarranted. And listen, if if I if I'm taking shots for no reason, the listeners can say, "Wow, Mac, you're a jackass." I'm just gonna root for 2005 to spite you. <laughs> Which you know what? Who knows? Maybe it'll happen. I don't think it will. Yeah. I, I feel I feel pretty I feel pretty good that our listeners will make the right choice. But I feel like you've presented a compelling case. So thank you for you know making this a really uh, certainly a, I can't look at how long we've gone. This is this is a like we're 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 like touching on over an hour here. So this is a, a, a great discussion. So Look, this project is so much fun because you know like. I've been trying to stress because, you know, people will probably be like, why the hell are, you know, why is Mac picking the 21 team over 99? Why is, why is Tim picking 05 over 2011? Like, we're, I, it's been so much fun for each of us to take one of these teams and make the case back and forth. Like, you know, this is like some like debate club level, like intensity. Like, it's, it's just fun. Like, even if it's a matchup where, like, I personally, I think the 2005 team has a great shot against 2011, regardless of, who I'm, who I'm backing um, for for the episode, but it's just been so much fun for us to you know have to pick one of these teams and defend them. I've been really enjoying this. Yeah, it's fun, and honestly, I love I love seeing people on UConn Twitter getting into it too because um, you yeah. know it, with with you know and as we go on, like I'm looking ahead, like our, all of our future matchups are you know by and large going to be pretty interesting. So. You know, I think obviously 99 versus 21 was like okay. I mean, nobody really thinks you know 21 could really yeah. beat 99, but like, I mean, I don't know. I, I personally, I think the fact that I, I convinced apparently 11 percent of people to pick them, I think it might be the biggest upset and maybe the greatest achievement in this entire show's yeah. show's run. So, man, if only I hadn't tweeted in uh, this 9802 matchup and I said like, "Help me look smart," and I should know that UConn Twitter does not want me to look smart. So of course that that was gonna happen. Well, I think honestly, your your problem was you got the attention of the wrong people, and a particularly look, look to that ninety nine, excuse me, ninety eight and two thousand two are right in the wheelhouse of some of the more prominent UConn Twitter personalities. Like those, yeah. like that's their teams. So just introducing that like grenade into the the sphere into the discourse was like always gonna get people to just be like i have thoughts yeah. and opinions on this and you should too and now we're arguing which is great we want more we want more arguing on twitter we're always in favor of arguing on twitter about yukon sports uh, other things less so i could do without some of the well you, you know it's twitter's a bad website but there's some good things about yes. it and this is this is con- contributing to the good parts so absolutely we will leave it there so we'll have this twitter poll posted uh you know where you know we'll have this Twitter poll posted for you you all uh, by the time you got hopefully by the time most of you guys hear this 
keep it open until Friday. And uh, who knows, maybe we'll see uh, like a zigzag like last week, or it could be a blowout in favor of one team or the other. I, I actually am fascinated because this is like a perfect illustration of what this, ep- this series is about. Like 2011 would win a popularity contest against 2005 anytime, probably by like a hundred to nothing margin. But if you actually think about it and like, what would happen if these two teams play? I honestly don't know. I think it's actually fascinating to see, and I'm curious to see how people, what people think. So thank you guys all for listening, and uh, thank you all for you know participating. This is going to be a fun, a fun series as we keep going. So anyway, you guys all know the drill. You guys can follow me on Twitter at Max Cerullo, M-A-C-C-E-R-U-L-L-O. My DMs are open, uh, and you can find the uh, bracket, the uh, the updated tournament bracket, as well as the poll on my Twitter. I'll have the, the poll pinned, so you shouldn't have to look too hard to find it. And um, follow hashtag yes, UConn for uh, all of the updates on kind of, you know, everything with this tournament, with the podcast in general. That's something that occurred to me. I was like, I should have been doing this all along. So actually use hashtags for their real purpose. So if you guys want to catch up on past polls or past episodes or past results, you can check that hashtag out. All good. Um, I don't know if I ever said this already, but yes, UConn podcast at gmail.com. You can hit us up there. And, um, yeah, five-star reviews on Apple Podcasts help us out. And, uh, Tim, w- remind us, you have a new Twitter handle, I think. What's your what's your handle these days? Tim from UConn. Not really compelling, but, eh, Easy to I remember. Like so, yeah, yeah, so anyway, you guys all check that out there. We will be back next week for what I honestly believe might be the best matchup of this entire first round. We're going to have 2006. The 2006 team, obviously, you know, Rudy Gay, you know, many of the same guys we talked about today, one of the most talented teams in UConn history, going up against 1994, Danielle Marshall, freshman Ray Allen. I just, wow, I, I don't even, that that's going to be a fantastic uh, discussion. I can't wait. <laughs> I mean, we're getting into the thick of it here. Yeah, and then, like, looking further down the road, then you have, like, you're only actually just make sure I pull this up to get the rest so yeah for anybody wondering so we were this is the halfway point of our first round so yeah so next week we got 06 versus 94 the week after that we have 2009 versus 2003 which is like another matchup like this where it's like it doesn't sound like a great matchup on paper until you actually think about it and then it's like oh that's 03 team has sophomore mecca okafor <laughs> so it's like oh okay <laughs> that that's interesting and then uh, after that we have 96 versus 90 Another just absolutely banger of a matchup. You have like junior year Ray Allen versus the Dream season. Are you serious? That's going to be a great yeah. one. And then to wrap up the first round, we'll have 04 versus 2016, which I feel like will be, uh, well, I don't know if it. To 11. Yeah, well, that'll be, yeah, that might be one of those like can you keep it below below 90 kind of matchups. But we have, we have a couple great yeah. ones in the meantime. So we'll get, we have a good, good month of content coming your way. So you guys all, thanks so much for listening. You guys all go vote. You guys all have a good one and we'll be back next week. And uh, yeah, we'll catch y'all later. Yeah.